Hey everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Unstoppable. Let me have a question for you. Do you like sex or chocolate? If you like sex more than you like chocolate, then perhaps you might want to listen as I chat with one of Australia's most in-demand sex educators, Dr. Nikki Goldstein, as we dive deep into all things sexual and relationships. She has been voted Australia's best sex educator for two years running. So if you're looking to improve your sex life, if you're wanting to understand more about sex and sexology, this is going to be the episode for you. Let's get down. Let's not get dirty but let's open our minds to all things sex and relationships. Enjoy. So ladies and gentlemen, I've got to tell you, this is kind of timely, this interview. We've got Dr. Nikki Goldstein. She's going to be talking to us about dating. Dr. Nikki. Thank you for having me. Can I call you Dr. Nikki? You can call me whatever you want to call me as long as it's got a DR on the front. Oh. Because I feel like I earned really that re- thing. You earned that thing? Yeah, I had to you work hard. You have a lot of your identity it. invested in this doctor title? Uh, it's just more of an ego. Like if I had to go oh, and I study, yeah, if I right. had to go and study and get the doctorate, the only thing I've dropped it from is when I book a plane ticket. <gasps> do you know because they don't let you do that anymore? Well, no, you can. I don't know if you, I think Jetstar, you can, Virgin, oh, you can't. There are some airlines you can't. Do you, and I know this because I actually used to book my tickets and I used to, I used to alternate between captain, doctor and professor. <laughs> <laughs> but th- no, here's the best part. But then I would wait until final call and I'd go, Beijing Professor Ray, <laughs> Professor Ray, <laughs> flight QF312. Well, that, that happened to me in airport once. My brother booked me the, the flight right. and I, I'd come off a boat somewhere. So I was in my casual clothes, you know, like kind of very beachy and they were changing my ticket and they were like, Beijing, Dr. Nicole Goldstein. And I thought, oh my God, they probably think some really stiff, you know, elegant, mature person is going to come up and there's me with the you know, beach sweat hair. hair and like my thongs. I'm, hi, I'm Dr. Goldstein. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I am a doctor. <laughs> i got to say, Dr. Goldstein, it has a whole ring to it. Um, but listen, I'm curious, for people who don't know who you are, like tell us a little bit about what you do. So the job is called sexologist. Yeah, right. Uh, but I don't think that explains anything. So the biggest Which is the myth, study of sex. Scientific study of sex. Yeah. So I don't have private clients. Right. So that's a sex therapist. So as a sexologist, I take the role of sex educator and I use media to educate. Yeah, okay, right. So that means I end up working in TV, radio, podcasts. Um, I do a lot of speaking events. I write books, articles. I do endorsements and work with various companies, everything from people like Gillette to um, drug companies. So I kind of find… Viagra? Uh, no, not no. yet, but I did work not yet. with... Not like yet. She's you never know. I'm putting it yeah. out there. Um, but That's I did what... work with a company once that had a premature ejaculation pill, medication. Yeah, right. So that was quite interesting. It wasn't day, double AMI, was it? No. Good. Well, no. Okay, good. <laughs> it wasn't that one. <laughs> okay, you're in good company. Um, but yeah, that was a really interesting one to work on. Okay, right. Get men to talk so about So you're a researcher that. when it comes to all things sex. Yes, but I do my research in a very different way. I had someone recently that said to me, how... Why, how are you credited to talk about what you, you know, talk about? And besides the fact that I've studied this, I'm the person that... I'm going to assume I'm, you've also done this. Like, you've had sex, right? I, I have had okay. sex and I do continue to have sex. Okay. Because if sex, just having sex was a qualification, I would have like four degrees in sexology. Well, that's what everyone says to me. The amount of times oh, really? people go, oh, I could be a sexologist oh, with what God. I know in the bedroom. Zero, I thought I was so like, yeah, wow. You thought you were unique with that one. <sighs> Man, I just need to get a haircut and a real job. Okay. <laughs> but I definitely, I, I go where a lot of people... I'm too scared to go. So recently I went to America. No pun intended. But I went to um, the Oscars of the porn world. You know, I went to the the AVNs and I did the conference and I followed around porn stars and I've been on porn sets. And 
if I'm going to talk about porn and I'm going to write about it and people are going to ask my opinion, then I want to make sure that I know what I'm talking about because I do feel in this profession, a lot of people have an opinion and that's great, but I want to know where that opinion came from. Is it just because you woke up in the morning and decided that you thought you were right or have you actually gone and spoken to the right people? You know, I've, I've been to swingers clubs and sex clubs and all sorts of parties and spoken to these people because I want to know what they think, how they tick, how they work. And that's what gives me the basis to be able to educate wider society because not only have I read about things in a textbook and studied and and got the academic credentials, but I continue to go out there and find out how people work. And this is what I like about you. You're not just a textbook nerd. You're actually a practical nerd. You're actually getting in the trenches, so to speak. Yeah. (laughs) My trenches trenches are a little interesting sometimes. (laughs) It involves sometimes naked people, but you get over that. Okay. So I'm going to assume that being a sexologist, this crosses not just the boundaries of sex and intimacy, but this is also going to be at the relationship level, how we relate to each other. And obviously, you, you're also an expert on dating. Yes. Yeah. So, which is obviously what happens before people have sex. Uh, depends. So, well, actually, yeah, depends. good point. It depends. Yeah, we do live in a modern age. Sex is sometimes the date. I find this this culture, we, you know, if you're online and you're really attracted to somebody, often people will hook up and then they go, okay, that's good. Maybe and we there's date. intimacy. Yeah, let's, let's go out for coffee now. <laughs> Let's trial, you know. And that's the thing, we're Holy so fast-paced shit. and yeah, people right. want to, people are putting more important, more and more importance on sex. So for a lot of people, they want to know if the sexual chemistry is there and then go investigate if there's intimacy rather than have a few dates and then realize the person's a dud root and go, what do I do with it? Is that? that actually a smart way to do things? Because, you know, there's the old saying, you don't want to test drive a car before you buy it. Um, and obviously when you consider that sexual compatibility is such an important component of a relationship. Like, is this is this the new way it should be done? I think it depends on the person. Because if you're a really sexual person, like, and it's like up like there Tim. on the list. Yeah, like... Yeah. Not me. Like Tim. Tim. Not you. Not me. Yeah. yeah. Not you. No. Not you, in inverted commas. Um, but I do think for people where it's really important, then maybe this is a wise idea for them today. Maybe yeah, right. they do need to hook up early see if there is that primal chemistry. But then on the flip side, when you get to know someone better and you can create intimacy and create mm. that closeness, the sex is better. So it really depends on you know what you view as good sex. You, know, you might be the type of person that you need somebody where size matters and they look hot and it's all very steamy and very primal. But you also might be the person that for you, good sex is when you just feel so close and intimate with that person mm. and there's so much love. So then it doesn't really matter if you're having sex with them in the beginning or if you're getting to know them a bit longer. So it comes down to understanding how you work as an individual. And is that also when it comes to relationships in general? Would you say that knowing who you are and what's important to you is fundamentally critical to knowing the type of relationship and the person you should be going into a relationship with? A hundred percent. And that's exactly what I did when I wrote the book and went out there as a dating expert because I found as a woman there were so many messages saying to me, this is the type of person that you should be with and this is how you should date. And I spent time trying to work out who I liked. I wanted to go out there and date all these different people and have all these different experiences. So now at the age of my life at 32, I'm in a relationship that's really fulfilling because I know what I want and I know Mm. what's right for me 
apart from all these messages that I'm getting. So, you know, I wanted to write something where I was saying to women, go out, whether that is dating, whether that is casual sex and hooking up, go out and have those experiences so you can work out what is right for you instead of having all these pressures placed on you to say, this is how I should date. This is even you look at the model of getting married, having babies. So many people go, well, this is what I should do. I've got the should do curse. And you kind of start to pull it apart and go, well, who decided you should do that? Who decided that was a wise idea? Who are we actually listening to? That is the problem in relationships. His voice we're is not, in my head. Exa- it's yeah. Exactly. And everyone yeah. kind of points the finger at everybody else. We're not listening to ourselves enough and we're not taking the time to get to know what we want. So I'm curious to know a little bit before we jump right into some heavy, um, hard-hitting questions on sex and all things dating. How did you get into sexology and, and become like one of Australia's top experts on dating? It's definitely not a job that someone <laughs> says to you, hey, why don't you give sexology a try? Because they say pursue what you love. So Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe. Maybe there's a little truth in that. I've never met a sexologist that is approved in the bedroom. So yeah, no, we, we definitely are open-minded. But I started off as the girl who wanted to help people. So, of course, I went to uni and I did psychology. I wanted to be a psychologist. And then I transferred to another degree in counselling. And part of my counselling degree, I had to do an internship and I did it with Relationships Australia. So I started working with couples and I just found I really liked the, the dynamics and that was where I was. my passion was developing. But after I finished my counselling degree, I thought, mm, I'm a little too young. I think I was 21 and I did feel like I was taking on a lot of, yeah. um, a lot of things that I wasn't geared up to, to deal with. So I ended up as a family mediator. So I was divorcing people for a living. Holy shit. So that was intense because as much as it was a a more empowering job because I was part of the solution for these couples, I kind of jumped on at a time where the courts had turned around and said, you cannot rock up to the family courts until you go to a family mediator and you at least attempt mediation. So I was the gatekeeper for a lot of couples going through a divorce. And I was writing all the certificates to say, yes, you can go. No, you've got to go to mediation. So it was quite an empowering experience because we had authority to really get in there and we weren't telling them what to do. We were helping them. You know, we were giving them reality of saying, this can go to court and this can cost you a lot of money and someone who doesn't know your children is going to make a decision or we can work it out in this room with you. What do you want to do? So it was good, but I did get to a point where I remember the phone call getting on, you know, getting on the phone to my mum and saying to her, what's the point of marriage? Everyone ends up divorced anyway. Mm. And it was like a light bulb when I went, okay, time to get out. Yeah, right. I was still very young. I'd gone through my own long-term breakup and I thought, "Mm, this isn't healthy for me. So I started this whole quest to what am I going to do next? And I was a journalist for a minute. I wanted to educate people about love, sex and relationships because I wanted to help them so they wouldn't end up in my office. And I thought, you know, I'm going to write some articles about it and started, you know, did a few courses, started traveling the world. And I met a woman who was a pleasure coach and I interviewed her for an article and she had gone to the school in San Francisco that I ended up going to. So it was the conversation with her where she started talking to me about her profession and where she'd studied. And I thought, you know, this this starts to ring bells for me. This starts to make sense to me. And I started off a certificate program and very soon transferred in the doctorate and I had no idea what I wanted to do with it. I just thought it sounded cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> you could go to the master's or yeah. there wasn't too, too much difference between the master's or the doctorate. And I was like, you know, Dr. Goldstein has a nice <laughs> ring to it. It does have a great ring to it. Yes, yeah. but also I was, I was young and I knew that if I was going to be taken seriously because people were going to challenge you know, obviously my thoughts and opinions and they were going to challenge me as a professional. I felt that I had to get the maximum education that I could 
to help really push my ideas and opinions across the line. And it, and it definitely has helped. It's definitely earned me a lot of respect. Yeah, no kidding. So you've been dubbed Australia's modern day sex and dating relationship expert. Um, how is this? Because here's, I've interviewed a lot of people around um, a lot of different disciplines. One that's kind of standing in my mind right now is uh, Dr. Vanessa Lapointe. Like she's one of the world's leading uh, child, psychologi- child psychologists and parental experts. And whenever I speak to her, we talk about the pressures that she sometimes feels as a result of her qualifications and everyone expects her to be the perfect parent. Um, do you ever feel those pressures yourself, like to have the perfect... All the time. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? <laughs> um, I think you just get better with age and experience yep. and it's a, it's definitely a learning curve, but you surround yourself by people who you can have these conversations with. I mean, I'm a big believer in therapy and I've always got a therapist. I don't always see my therapist, but if something comes up, that person is there. Um, I reach out to my colleagues in America because sexology is not a big profession, but the group that I went through within the States, we're all still very close friends and thank goodness with our phone plans these days, they're just a phone call away. So I find that when I was younger and I was starting off in this profession, I really struggled Mm. because I was single. I was also trying to work out my sexuality at the same time as talking to people about theirs. So that's a really challenging position to be in. And I feel like when you're a sexologist, you have this weapon and the weapon is being able to talk about sex to anybody and everybody. And you forget for a minute when you're out in the social world, when you're talking to the opposite sex about sex and you're potentially looking to date them, you might see it as normal. Other people don't They're see it as normal. freaking out. They're losing their shit. They're going, oh my God, <laughs> she's going to be grading every aspect of this relationship. And especially yes when we get to bed. No. It, it worked a few different ways. Well, you can imagine that because, again, that was the exact next point I was going to go to because, you know, obviously when you have what you do as a qualification, as a background, that could be a little bit intimidating for a man coming into your space. And you would get different you know, personality types. So yeah. you would get people that you'd get the alpha who decided that if they could bed you, they were more of an alpha because if I knew everything about sex and I was a sexologist, then I was the ultimate goal to, to bed. Yeah. And I got to a point where that really used to, to kill my self-esteem because if that came up with, say, somebody that I really liked, they weren't with me for me. They were with me because I had this, you know, qualification. It was an it was achievement. Yeah. So that was a pretty crappy one. Um, you would get the people that you would make really nervous, um, that felt really pressured and, oh, she's going to know more and she's going to be analysing me. And then you just Does this those, feel okay? Yeah, exactly. Okay? Is it all right? Am I doing this thing? I'm pretty sure I'm, respons- left, I'm, pretty right. sure I'm responsible for a lot of erectile dysfunction. Um, but also <laughs> oh, then you God. would get those people that they would over-sexualise it because yeah. you've got to remember that when you talk about sex all day long, it's not as sexy as it is for you. You know, mm. it's my job. So you would get these people that would really take it in the wrong level, they'd make it really smutty and that would make you feel like crap because at the end of the day, I'm also an academic and I love, you know, this subject. It fascinates me and some people would maybe perceive me as something that I wasn't. You know, I think mm. there's this perception that because I'm a sexologist... But you're a dominatrix. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. running around with dildos in my hands swinging from chandeliers on the weekend, <laughs> which is so far from the... I mean, sometimes it's far from Oh, the I was going to say, I'm so gutted, right? Really? You're just shattering my idea right now. I mean, listen, I'm obviously open-minded and yeah. I like a bit of adventure, but, you know, I think people expect that you're going to be into swinging and group sex and yeah. all these different things. And at the end of the day, you're just... A normal girl with an open mind. Yeah. Sometimes a dirty mind. <laughs> oh, that's good. Both of those good. Look, you've kind of gone somewhere that I was going to go later, but we might as well go there now. You referred to the alpha. Um, and, I, and again, I'm going to move this into the, the dating concept, but I think we're going to constantly reference sex because it's such an important component of relationships. 
But do you think with the way society has changed, with the whole microwave mindset of everyone wanting everything really quickly now, we've got social media porn. You know, I was just having a conversation with a sexologist before you walked in. Um, You're cheating on me? <laughs> she's got nothing on you, I tell you. Um, but what was what's interesting is porn's changed a lot in the last 20 years. Uh, it's changed a lot in the last five years, so I've been told. Um but what I'm finding interesting, so is this concept of masculine. So is this concept of feminine. And so is this concept of what an alpha male actually is. So I think, is it important for us to get really clear on what an alpha male or what masculine is and what masculine isn't before we even start talking? Because what we're talking with relationships... But we can't about- define that. That's the interesting thing. Ooh. What is masculine? Well, that's a good question. And I have an answer, but I'm curious to know, is this something we should be leaving open? I think I think we need to be having more conversations because, you know... My biggest concern at the moment when you look at the landscape that we're in is that we are leaving out a lot of support for men. Mm. It's great as a woman that we have what we have at the moment. Even, you know, I look at the Me Too campaign and Time's Up and it's even motivated me to speak up more. I mean, I've been in terrible situations where I've been harassed for what I do and, you know, I've kind of thought, oh, just suck it up, Nikki, just suck it up. Now I am more outspoken and being in the States, you do get this sense that women are really putting their hand up and going, you know, we're standing up for ourselves. And I love that. However, we also are not supporting men. We mm-hmm. seem to have with this support and female empowerment, we've really started painting men in this picture of sexual deviants and predators. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of them out there just as much as there's a lot of crazy women. You know, like Bing. the stereotype exists. Yeah. But where is the support for men exploring what masculinity is? You know, these days you cannot criticize a woman for anything she's wearing or how sexily she's dressed. You can't say, well, you deserve it because you're wearing a miniskirt because at the end of the day, it's our right to present ourselves how we see fit. Why are we not having those conversations about men? Why are we saying that a a man has to be dressed in a certain way? A man has to do things in a certain way. And I feel like it's that pressure that is really killing a lot of men internally. I mean, you only just have to look at the suicide rates of Mm. men. I think it's between the ages of 30 and 40-something. And suicide is the biggest killer of men in this country. And we've got to stop and start questioning the pressures that we put on them to be, in inverted commas, masculine, and that we aren't giving the same permission for them to explore their lives and explore how they want to be a man. Instead, it's like we're just not talking about it. And we're talking about, you know, women a lot and women's rights, but we're too scared to talk about men's rights because people will turn around and go, well, we live in the society where men have had all the rights and, you know, we are putting a lot of pressure on them as sexual predators, but are we listening to them? That's a really good point. Um, I actually just started watching a documentary a couple of nights ago on Netflix called Liberation. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but uh, it's essentially, it's a documentary on spring break and it's really going and looking at the the the, the, the current understanding of how these kids perceive what masculine, what feminine is, how they relate to one another. Uh, and how they're essentially engaging in multiple transactional experiences on a daily basis and assuming that, and again, they're asked the question, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be masculine? And they're saying, well, to be able to, you know, to be able to be strong, we've got to be tough, to be able to not show emotion and in some cases better as many women as possible and, you know, be more attractive than my friends are. So when we look about, when you say we need to be open, but do we really need to start looking at redefining what masculinity is in a healthier way so that these... Can we get rid of the terms? I know that sounds kind of really... Sure. You know, what we, this so is, what do we call ourselves? You are who you are. Okay. Right? Why do we have to define ourselves by a label? Why can't we just be the name? You know, even when we look at sexuality, why do I have to say to you that I'm a heterosexual woman? Why can't I just say I'm in a relationship with so-and-so and so-and-so is a man? What happens if next year I'm in a relationship with a woman? 
I might not be gay, but I just happen to be in a relationship with that person. It's the same thing when I look at, you know, this whole issue of being masculine and feminine. You know, even when we look at being feminine and you think of, you know, the demure woman and she's flirty and sexy and all of that, it's like, do we value a woman who is that stereotype more than a woman who is taking on stereotypically masculine qualities? You know, because it comes down to being valued for your gender. Yeah, yeah. We should be valuing people based on who they are, not if they fit into this gender stereotype. And that's the problem when you look at the stereotypical notion of masculinity this is how men feel like they have to be valued, that they have to be strong, they have to be the providers, they have to be betting all these women, they have to be betting hot women. If we took that away, wouldn't we give people the space to succeed as them and not these wasting all this time on this stereotype? At the end of the day, I'm attracted to my partner for who he is, not if I can tick off the list and go, okay, so you're a stud, you've had, you know, this many women and you're a good provider and you're this and you're strong. No, it's for who he is. And that's, I think, how we need to be judging each other, not on these, you know, stereotypes because it does lead into these damaging behaviours. When people are having sex as a conquest, it's not good sex. It's just tick off the list sex. And it's so Yeah, it's so disconnected. It's like putting something in a hole. Like that's exactly what, you know, as long as I can tell my friends that I've done it. And a lot of girls, it's the same way because... I feel now when it comes to the word, you know, feminine, we're taking on all these qualities that were stereotypically reserved for men. We're becoming stronger. We're becoming more sexual. And not that we don't have this innate desire to be sexual, but we're now trying to function the same way as men sexually. I'm not going to say that we're not more or less sexual, but we are different. You know, that is part of our biological makeup. We might work a bit differently, but because we're trying to get this equality when it comes to sex, there's a lot of women out there who are trying to have sex like a man Mm. and they might be putting themselves at harm's risks in terms of, you know, whether it's physical or emotional. Women are allowed to explore their sexuality and I actually think women are probably in a way more sexual because of how the way that we we tick and we function and we have sex and we don't just ejaculate and lie down and have a sleep. You know, we're There's able a lot of chemistry to <laughs> that. I'm sure you know it. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I'm saying. We, yeah. we can keep going. Our sexuality is fluid, all these yeah. different things. However, we can't or nor should we be trying to have sex just like men. We should be trying to have sex like women. Mm. Still doesn't mean that we can't have a lot of it and kinky and great and all of that. But you get these women who are just trying to you know, do the female version of tap that. You know, they're trying to have sex with as many men as possible to feel like the alpha female. Is that what, and it comes down to, is that what they want to be doing? Or is that for both men and women, what they feel they have to do, the should do's? The expectation. Yeah. The expectation of the market. I'm curious to, to, to ask you though, we have such an incredibly high divorce rate in this country. Um, and look, I've heard some really interesting theories and I, I've got a theory that I'd like to, to share with you that I heard from someone else once upon a time. And they said, look, you know, divorce really didn't start becoming popular until like the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s in, in this country and also many other Western countries. And all of a sudden we had these, um, these children that were being reared by mothers that in some cases were a little bit, in some cases bitter, in some cases a little bit burnt. Um, and they were saying to their kids, to the son, they're saying, okay, you need to learn how to be more sensitive. You need to learn how to be more. So you need to learn to, you know, become essentially what we would characterize as display more feminine characteristics. And then they're saying to the daughter, you need to learn how to stand up for yourself. You need to learn how to become stronger. You need to learn how to take care of yourself and dominate in a man's world, which are essentially more masculine energy characteristics. 
And now we seem to be living in this age where men and women seem to be struggling to relate to each other. And I'm not necessarily talking just at a, at a uh, just at a psychological level, but I'm also curious at an energetic level if there is a little bit of a mismatch based on historically how some of us have been brought up as a result of what we've seen before us. I think we're actually getting better at relating to each other. Even though the divorce rate's going up? I don't feel like the way that we relate to each other has got anything to do with the divorce rate. Okay. When I look at the divorce rate, I think of things like, first of all, you have a look at the construct of marriage. Yeah. Right? It's a social construct. It's not a romantic one. Um, I believe in marriage, but this idea that is the most romantic thing in the world, I think is bull. Because when you have a look at why we do it, the way that we get into it, we try and add that element of romance to it, but it's not going to solve all our problems. It's not going to make our marriages and our relationships blissful all the time. You've also got this issue that marriage when, you know, when it was first created, well, sorry, I just think I kicked you under the table. I'm not playing oh, footsies. Just relax. <laughs> marriage was something that, you know, a woman had to get into for economic safety, a man had to do for, you know, giving the, you know, spreading the seed, if you want to say it like that. Now, we didn't live to the age that we lived back then. We're living longer. So we've got this issue of are we meant to be with the one person for the rest of our life? I feel like that does play a part. Another big thing I feel is that you've got the expectations of the should-dos, the type of person you should marry, how you should get married, how you should date. I see so many people get engaged and they've got a relationship that maybe is unique to them. They get married in a very traditional way and it seems like they go into these stereotypes of what a husband and a wife should be. And I think to myself, is that you or are you feeling the pressures of what it means to be a wife? Are you feeling the pressures of what it means to be a husband? So I've got a, you know, a bit of an issue with that and I feel like are people being themselves in marriages or are they turning into the stereotype? And at the end of the day, you're not a stereotype, you're you. So I kind of feel like with divorces, it's... Well, also too, I think we've got the female empowerment issue. If you want to look at how we're relating to each other, I don't think it's how we're relating to each other, but I do feel like, you know, if you have a look at pre-1975, where there was such thing as default divorces. So you pretty much had to prove if somebody was having an affair, some kind of injustice was done. I feel like there are a lot of people that stayed married because they thought that it was the right thing to do and especially women. Now, women didn't have the rights that they have these days. They didn't have the support. They couldn't work part-time. You know, my mum tried to go back to work after she had my, my brother and she wanted to actually split a role with her. She was in the airlines ground staff, wanted to split a role with another woman that she worked with in the same position, shared it like part-time job for both of them, wouldn't let them do it. It didn't exist. So if you were a woman and you were unhappy, what were your options? Mm. You stayed because you stayed for your children, you stayed for the security. Now look at women. You know, we actually have a right to walk away. Same thing as guys. There's more support when we look at things like paternity leave. If you want to be a single dad, that's totally acceptable. And that's totally something that we see happen in a really successful way. Back in my, even my parents' day, I'm pretty sure my dad wouldn't have coped being a single dad and there wouldn't have been the support groups and there would have been, you know, the societal acceptance and all that kind of thing. So when we have a look at that changing society, you, there's so many reasons as to why the divorce rate's high. What we have to work out is, is that the worst thing in the world? Because I think, well, people have a right to come in and out of relationships when we have a look at, you know, sometimes you do fall in and out of love with people. What I wish is that we could exit these relationships more amicably. Mm. If you do decide that it's not right, if you've gotten married young and you've changed as people and you've tried everything that you possibly could try, 
you know, one of the issues is we do get divorced too easily in some situations because it is easier to get divorced. You wonder if people are putting in the hard yards. But if you have tried to work it out and you can't, you know, you get to that point, I just wish that there was a different avenue to people for people mm-hmm. to go down so they weren't being stuck in the family courts killing each other and we didn't have, you know, false allegations of AVOs and people withholding children left, right and centre. That's where I think the That's damage is done. It's like, Do you why think divorce is there? becoming too easy? For some people, yes. And I think that's not just legally, but it's also the societal acceptance of divorce. You know, it's not taboo. So I struggle with it because I look at, you know, those couples that have been together forever and you'll see them, you know, they'll be on a TV show, you know, they're celebrating their 100th wedding anniversary and you think, oh my God, they're so gorgeous. You know, how amazing. They've stood it out because relationships can be hard and I think we need to be more open and honest about the fact that they can be a struggle. Well, David Snarch, you probably know David Snarch. Well, you know, uh, he wrote the book Passionate Marriage and he said, you know, marriage doesn't start until the problems do. And that is fundamentally, I think, you know, we live in this, again, this microwave mindset society where we think everything's going to be easy and effortless and when it's not, you know, we think we'll just, we'll just, change the filter. But I am curious to know, because I know you do mention, or I know it's somewhere in, in my notes here, is there also a biological component? You know, are we meant to be monogamous? And I've had the, the great benefit of being exposed to, uh, I've got a relative that's um, polyamorous and there's, I've been exposed to open relationships and the constructs and the different constructs of open relationships. And also the idea that it can be, in some cases for certain people, completely unrealistic to expect all of your needs to be met by one person. And again, I'm not just talking about sexual needs. You know, I'm talking about intimacy needs. I'm talking about relationships needs, intellectual needs, and in some cases, affection needs. Is there a biology to the fact that we perhaps are, maybe the lifespan of relationships appears to be decreasing? Uh, or is it also the understanding that perhaps we need more than just one person or to be fully f- fulfilled? See, this is a million-dollar question when it comes to sexology. Is this nature versus nurture? Are we meant to be monogamous or are we meant to have multiple partners? And there's so many. The um, uh, Sex at Dawn is a really good book if you're interested in this. Is this on open relationships? This is on open relationships. I've read The Ethical Um, Slut, which was… Yes, I love The Ethical Slut. That's a great book. I actually cried when I read There was one part in The Ethical Slut where she talked about love and I actually had like tears. And I'm not that type of person. I was like, suck it up, Nikki. You're getting weak. What's going on? here. But I feel like we are never going to come to a conclusion whether naturally, biologically, we are meant to be open or not. Now, I had a, I did a podcast um, at a swingers club and I was investigating this topic and I spoke to this one person who said to me, well, biologically, we're not meant to be, you know, this is not natural to be in a relationship with one person. And I thought about it when I went home because that comment just stood to me and I thought, it's not natural for us to wear clothes. Right? It, there's a lot of things that are not natural for us. That's what I said to the police officer just <laughs> before he arrested me. <laughs> Need a good lawyer by the sounds of it. But it's a social construct. It's yeah. something, there are so many things when we look at naturally as human beings, what we innately want to do. I can't just go around doing what I do in society. Like I couldn't just go up to people and go, you know what, you're annoying me, I'm going to hit you. You know, like we have laws, we have societal expectations, we have all these things. So this you, is you where... You would do that if you could get away with it? No. Oh, she's violent and sexual. <laughs> Let's just say there's some people I would love to, but I would never High do that. Five I'm not a violent with a chair, person. but that's okay. I'm not a violent person. Um, but it just really got me because I thought, you know, whether we are, it is natural to be with one person or not. Yeah. For me, I think it comes down to a choice. Now, I would love to sit on the couch all day, drink champagne, and eat chocolate. It's not good for me. 
<laughs> Neither would be being in an open relationship. I just know that I'm not the type of person that could handle it. I would probably get really jealous. That's I would. What, that's what I find really interesting, though, and that's what's explored in the ethical slut is the development that's required to maintain an open relationship requires an enormous amount of psychological or self psychological self psychological evaluation on where the pain is coming from, and then learning how to live with a level of openness and acceptance that, for some people, is just psychologically damaging and for others it's you know a form of psychological enlightenment. And that's why I feel like we should have the choice mm. and it should be encouraged of more course. that you know it comes down to again working out what you want. I've explored all sorts of different types of relationships. For me what works is monogamy. Mm. Now, you know that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for everybody and I'm not going to say to people you should be in a monogamous relationship or you should be in an open relationship. I have a lot of friends who are in different types of open relationships whether they're swingers or they're polyamorous or had a friend who was in what they called a framly. I still am confused as to what a framly is, wow. but there are multiple people having sex with different people. So Yeah, right. Yeah, and it works for them and I think this is where we need to get more open-minded and embrace somebody for who they tell us they are. Instead of trying to put you into a box, why don't you tell me what your relationship is? And instead of trying to convert people, because I do find you will get people who are trying to push people into one group. And there are people in open relationships who are the same way, trying to you know prove that their way is the more natural, the more you know what we're supposed to be. Why can't we just go, you know what, this is what works for me and this is what I'm really happy with and if you've got any questions about it, I'm happy to answer that. Yeah, I love it. Because I would just prefer that people are more honest with themselves instead of, and you know, I can't stand this situation where you get somebody that's in a monogamous relationship or telling their partner and they're in a monogamous relationship and continually having, you know, affairs on the outside. Those are the people that I feel like challenging going, okay, can we just have a look at what your biological drives are? Because mm-hmm. is, this, is this an ego? Is this a matter of trying to prove to yourself that you're still like, you know, the still masculine or the feminine, you're still that sexy desired person? Or maybe, just maybe, you are actually somebody that's better off being in an open relationship. That is a really important and a really good point. So, okay, um, we've kind of moved away from dating, but I'm, I'm which <laughs> well, is fine. Well, it's dating because well, it's like, who, how many people are you going to oh, date? You're going to date one, you're going to date five. And again, you know, because it's kind of interesting for me. Um, I learned more about what I wanted in someone by dating people that I didn't want to be with uh, because it gave me an understanding. Well, I thought I wanted something like, because I know for the longest time when I first, um, I think it was around my mid-20s when I started dating in my mid-20s again after coming out of a long-term relationship, I started going, okay, well, this time I'm going to pick a woman who's a little bit more entrepreneurial, you know, a little bit more business-orientated, a little bit more like me. Uh, and then sure enough, I manifested this incredible woman who was a little bit more entrepreneurial, a little bit more business-orientated and very competitive like me. And I then started to realize, oh, holy shit, I don't want someone who's just like me because when there was two people in competition with one another, for us, it caused a lot of conflict. And so I discovered through the course of, and again, I, I looked at look at this for my life purposes. Well, I did forty eight jobs before I actually discovered what I love to do. Yeah. And for me, I put a lot of weight in trying those forty eight different jobs before I found what I love to do because I'm not sure I would have, you know, I'm not sure I would have found it if I hadn't have kept looking. So, is it important for us to date lots of people in order to define what it is we do want in a relationship, but also just as importantly, define what we don't want in a relationship? Yes. But, you know, there's also a downside to that because the problem is as human beings is that we also have a time clock, whether that's a biological one or not. So are you telling me I'm not going to live forever? 
Well, I saw something about robots saying that, you know, we can be somehow... I guarantee you in the next 40 years, we will work out how to up, download and upload consciousness into other things. Well, I have spoken... I, a few weeks ago, I actually spoke to a robot, which freaked me out. You spoke to a robot? Yeah, with artificial intelligence. It starts it to make me go... Robot? Yes, it was, it was a, sex a sex robot. robot. It was a sex yeah? robot. Yeah, could it have a good conversation with you? Oh, I could catch it out. It wasn't... It, right. But you see where the technology is going. Yeah. So that's where you start to go, hang on. If this is where the technology is, where do we stop? Mm. But getting back to dating multiple Sorry. people. <laughs> You know, I think it's really good to date multiple people, but I do feel like at some point you need to start honing in on what you want because because that can almost become a pattern within itself. You start it dating can, multiple and people, it's, and it's an ego thing to too. I can get all these different people. If yeah. you're looking for this notion of perfection, you're never going to find it. And at some point, if you do want a relationship and you want a partner to share experiences with, you're going to have to give somebody a go because I feel like with this app world. It's so fast-paced. We kind of just go onto the next, onto the next, onto the next. Swipe We're not left. connecting with anybody to actually give anyone a decent go. We just know that if you don't meet my criteria list, well, I'm just going to jump online and find someone else that yeah, right. does. So that's that danger that's like, yes, go out and have those experiences to find out what you want. But at some point, can you stop and start learning from those experiences and analyzing them and going, okay, well, what worked well with that person? What worked well with that one? What mistakes did I make? What kind of qualities really work for me? And maybe give somebody a serious go. I'm not saying marry somebody that you're not you know, perfect with, but be more invested and connected with somebody and seriously date them because you can get into this habit of just continually looking for the next, looking for the next, looking for the next. And you know, there are so many people out there dating now. I think singles are outweighing married people. So with these endless options, I like it to a kid in a candy store. If you don't know what you want, you know, if you were to grab a kid and all the candy and put them in the store and go, choose one, the kid would go, meltdown. Because <laughs> how do you choose one? If that kid knew what their favorite candy was, they'd walk into the shop and go, okay, I want the, the, the Cadbury bar. You know, and that's kind of the thing with dating is that when you jump on an app, there are so many different apps and so many different people and so many different swipes going on. If you don't know what you want, it's like, uh, maybe yeah, maybe no, no, yes, maybe this. It's, it's like going to a video store. Yeah, and you get a cranked neck for a different reason. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I think everyone starts dating for a whole range of different reasons. Um, you know, you've probably got the younger generation it's just because of where they're at in their life. But a lot of our demographic is, you know, 25 to 55 entrepreneurs, um, people who are in business, but a high percentage of our clients uh, and our listeners are people that have been in business, been in marriages, and in some cases have come out of marriages. And so I'm curious to know what your advice would be. Say you're somewhere between the ages of, you know, let's call it 30 and 55. You've found yourself in a situation that you, you perhaps didn't expect yourself in and you're now looking to date. So for me, I downloaded Tinder and it lasted on my, I didn't even, I literally opened it, Tinder. I didn't even put in, it asked for the details and I literally got out and I deleted it immediately. And it wasn't because of this whole um, stigma because when I first used online dating, I was in my mid-20s and it was like, oh, you're using online dating? Like, what's wrong with you? Um, and I was using it at a time, again, I was building a business, didn't have a lot of time and I didn't use it very successfully, but it was still an experience. Whereas now it's a lot more socially acceptable. I'm sure you'd agree. Yeah, I've been on, t I actually still have a Tinder profile, believe it or not. Because I was wondering why you didn't match me back. <laughs> Well, I deleted that app when I started dating my partner a yeah. while a while ago now, but I forgot that you've actually got to erase the profile. Yeah, right. And I just took the app off. So I've had like a few random people find my professional <laughs> Facebook page and like, is that you I found on Tinder? And I'm thinking, <sighs> so I've always shit. wanted to yeah. like, obviously telling him that I would do it. I've always wanted to just reactivate it and see what's been going on in Dr. Nikki's life. For the yeah, I'd be years. curious to see. 
So, um, but I see, I think online apps can work. I know a lot of people that are married to someone that they met on an app. I know a lot of people that have got babies that are in good relationships and they found these people online. I really think it depends our attitudes when we're dating online and how we're using the app as depending on the result that we get from it. Yeah, right. No, see, so maybe you were using Tinder wrong. Well, I didn't even fucking use Tinder. <laughs> and, but my concern is like I'm at a, I guess, and look, there's, I can't be the only one out there who looks at Tinder and goes, shit, I just don't have the time. I don't even have the time for Tinder. And Tinder's the most efficient way to do things. And for me, it's like, how do you know what it is that you're going to have on the other side of that? Is there perhaps, and again, and the whole idea of going to a bar, oh my God, no, I don't even want to do that. Are there other ways that you could suggest it? And again, apart from the eight-old, you know, go to the dog park or anything else. But how would someone, you know, they're in between the age of 30 and 50, wanting to meet someone new. They're not wanting to use technology. They're not wanting to go to the old school, you know, nightclubs and bars. What do we do? Setups. I'm such a fan. And I think we have too much ego these days because do you turn to your friends and go, hey, this is what I'm after. You know, do you know any really lovely single girls? No, because we're all too proud. You know, it's that when you come back to that masculine energy kind oh, of geez, thing. she's not going to let me understand. You know, no, but it, it's <laughs> one of those things. Even as a woman, you know, you, you don't want to turn around to someone and go, oh, have you got someone you can set me up without a fear of looking desperate? Now, I went on two dates or had two mini relationships with people that I was set up with. One, I actually jumped the gun and found him online, but we were supposed to be set up at a wedding. And the other one was a you know very straightforward setup. And they didn't work because we weren't, because of the setup. They didn't work because of the personality clashes. But I felt really safe because I knew that these people knew me and they knew the guy and they'd taken the time to go, mm, would they be, you know, would they work? Whereas that takes the responsibility away from you trying to flip through and work out which person you might potentially match with and which one you've got to invest the time with. It's kind of that security of, okay, the person's on a complete not a psycho or nutter. We hope. You know, people can get that wrong. So, you know, when people... And often we have these great people sitting in our networks that we just don't reach out mm. to. And I think also too for those people that do have a lot of either great single friends or, you know, whether it's men or women, let's start being a little bit less selfish and start looking at, can we connect people? You know, mm. are there some people that are sitting in, you know, might be your hairdresser, your chiropractor. Have you asked those people in your life that they're dating someone at the moment? Maybe you've got a brother or a cousin. What's wrong with what we used to yeah, do and right. say, hey, I know someone that you'd be really great with. I feel like we need to bring back the setups. I think you're right. Tim, can you please make a note? Remind me to tell <laughs> everyone in the office how fucking selfish they are because they haven't set me up with any of their hot friends just yet. You're not in you're not Sorry, I'll, I'll sell you to some of my friends. I've got plenty of sell you. Shit, is it that bad? <laughs> I think if I vouch for you, like as the sexologist, sexologist. if I vouch for you, right, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Like this could actually this could be the moment that changes it all. I think I've been misrepresented here, but I know it's I know I haven't been. But for me, because I was brought up by a single mum. So I was brought up, my parents split when I was age six. And so surprisingly, I am shocked at how many women say to me, wow, you're actually really chivalry. You have chivalry's not dead. And for me, masculinity to me is not about this alpha dominant perspective. It's about this, this strong male perspective that is, that is also soft and yielding at the same time, but knows how to respect a woman for, for what they bring to the equation, which in some cases is just, you know, who they are. Well, not in some cases, in all cases, it's who they are, not the hair, not the makeup, not the eyelashes and everything else. And, and that, there's your sales pitch for dating. Oh, there we go. We there just, we go. We cut that bit out, right? We're going to sniff at that. <laughs> you know what? Cut that sniff it out. Send it to me and I'll just post around to all my friends. And, we Would go. you like to date this guy? Hey, maybe we should put you into next season of Married at First Sight. No. Absolutely There's not. There's a good no. way. I did get hit up for Survivor, but no. Not doing Married at First Sight or The Bachelor. Uh, okay, we'll see you next year. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> 
So let's talk about dating and sex. And you actually kind of covered this already. Um, and you said, look, that, you know, sex in some cases now can go, can come before dating. Um, is there any weight on like? Is it something we should be waiting to do? In your opinion, no, I do like. I do like the idea of waiting sometimes. I feel like we've lost that art yep. because it's nice to get to know somebody and create that intimacy and then jump into the physical intimacy side of things. And it's good to have something to look forward to because everything's given straight away these days. You, know, you jump online, you have a look at their Instagram profile, you have a look at their Facebook profile, you know, you ask them a few questions and you feel like you know everything about them. So I do think there is something in waiting that is nice. But then, you know, what I hate is when people go, oh, I'll sleep with him on the fifth day. Like, don't have a time limit to wait because then you've got to work out why is, where did that number, comes into the should do's, where did that number come from? And I say fifth date because I had um, some girlfriends that that's what they used to do. No kidding. Why should you wait to the fifth date? Maybe it's earlier, maybe it's later. It just depends on what feels right for you. But where do we come up with this number from? Where's the science behind, hey, waiting to sleep with a guy until the fifth date is a good idea because then he'll call you back. He can still jerk you around. <laughs> <laughs> so you wrote a, you you wrote a book on dating. Yes, What's single it called? single but dating. Single but dating. Because okay. I came up with a new title because I didn't like the word single. You know, single but dating. Yeah, okay, I like that. Because when yeah, you're single, I, oh yeah, you're right. Because it just doesn't make sense. Because if you've got to say to people, "I'm single," and I had to do this all the time, yeah. people say, "Like, are you seeing anyone at the moment?" I'm like, I don't really talk about someone. I'm just kind of dating. So yeah. I'd say, "No, I'm single." Oh. Or they'd say to me, oh, what's a nice girl? Why can't a nice girl like you find a guy? And I'd be like, oh, hang on a second. Yeah. You know, and I'd want to say to them, like, listen, there's no lack of fun in my life. Like I am seeing people and I am sleeping with people and I'm having all these experiences. But yet on paper, the label that I can express to you is single. Mm. So that's why I came up with <laughs> single but dating because it yeah. was like, I'm single and I'm having a lot of fun and don't pity me and stop looking at me like that. Yeah, right. I like it. That's a good label. So is there a pro like have you got a step-by-step -step process in that book? or at least an outline or a guide of, okay, I'm not winning at the dating game. I'm not winning at, you know, finding myself the ultimate person. I want to basically hit the reset button and start from scratch. What do I do? There's no um, formula or anything like that because okay. I don't, I'm not one of these people that like sticking to rules. You're very and... open. I like this. Like you're very, you're open to any concept idea. But you've got to challenge these these myths and you've got to bust all these expectations that are put on you. So a lot of the, the messages that's in the book is, yes, there's some tips on, you know, whether it's online dating and ghosting and defining the relationship and when to have sex with people and STIs and ghosting? sexual health. You've never heard of ghosting? I'm going to assume it. I'm going to assume ghosting is where you put up a fake profile. No, ghosting is where you just disappear. Oh. So it's like, say we were dating, oh, right? So and instead of saying to you, you know what, I just don't think it's working, I would just stop returning your phone calls and just disappear and just block you and that was it. That's ghosting. Yeah, right. So, you know, there is some direct advice around things like that. But for a lot of the other things, it was about challenging people's expectations and really pushing that message of, I'm going to support you with all these tools, but with these tools, I want you to go out and work out what's right for you. Now, there were various things that are important, especially to tell to women. And I've spoken very passionately there about egg freezing. You know, if you are a woman that is going to go out and wants different experiences and wants to work out what's right for you and wants the time, then you know what? Freezing your eggs if you're at a certain age is a good idea because you might start getting to your late 20s and think, oh, my God, my biological clock and start dating and picking guys based on mm. the time factor and not connecting with them. Yeah, right. So, you know, these were things that I Should really want to bring up. Should be freezing their sperms as well? No, not no. till you, I don't think till you're 
in your forties. There okay. is some there is some research out there, but I'm not a dude with sperm, so I haven't researched it that much. <laughs> we do get kicked in the balls a lot. <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah. Well, maybe if that's your profession, then go yeah. for your sperm. But you know, it was important to give people the tools to be able to date and explore at the same time, so they could work out what was right for them instead of me saying, "Hey, this is what you should do. This is how long do you call him back? This is how many dates do you have sex with him?" And I'm going to guarantee that you've got a ring on your finger because the intent of the, of the book was not even to make people, you know, help people find a ring on their finger. It was to date and be fulfilled, however that is for you, whether that's, you know, some people might stay in the single but dating world for a long time. Other people might transition and go from single but dating to a relationship. Now for me, and it was what was so good about writing the book twice because I did an Australian version, a US version. In that time, I found a partner that I was really connected with and really worked for me. I truly believe that my years of being single but dating were vital to being able to get in that relationship with him because I knew what I wanted. I knew what was right. And very early on, I knew it was a good relationship. I knew it was worth being Is Dr. Nikki in love? Yes, Dr. Nikki's in love. Okay, so how did you meet him? How did I meet him? He who we cannot mention. He who we cannot mention. Normal boring stories through mutual friends. Um, but, you know, traction was there from the beginning. And I knew, you know, I was on the other side of the world when we were getting to know each other and I was in America. And I was lucky that a lot of it was done by a phone because I got to know the person really well and I got to spend time getting to know that person. I knew I liked that person, but then I think the fear is when you really are attracted to someone and you're falling for them and you think... Shit, is the chemistry yeah, can, there? Well, not the chemistry. There's logistics as well because yeah. chemistry is one thing, but if you're looking at investing into time with somebody, you want the logistics to be there. You want to have things like the same morals and values and the same goals and directions. I think things like that are important when you're looking at a more serious long-term relationship is that you need that passion and that chemistry. Mm. But I'm also one of these people that believes that love isn't enough. You know, you can be in love with somebody and it can be a disastrous relationship and you really need to think about quality of life and quality of relationship as well. But then you can't just have those things that tick off on the list. You need the passion and the chemistry. So it's a bit of both. Okay. Resumes, also Resumes. known as profiles. Um, by the way, I'm just going to take a bit of a, a punt here. He's a doctor, isn't he? My partner? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. Is he a doctor? <laughs> I think he's a doctor. I see a doctor in your future. No. Okay, anyway. We'll it's funny because he was wearing scrubs yesterday. Oh, that's what I saw. Yeah. He's a, he's a builder and he was working at a, um, he was doing a job at a hospital and sent me a photo. No of kidding. I was tuning into him and yeah, I saw, there you go. I saw the yeah. that's bizarre. I, I, I quite liked the, the hospital scrubs. <laughs> <laughs> I said to her, I was like, is that coming home? <laughs> <laughs> Bring it home, baby. Um, so resumes, one of the things that I experienced as a business owner is something that I also experienced in the online dating I did, you know, in my mid twenties, which was, you know, people can put anything they want on a piece of paper and they can even come down and sit down in front of you and lie to your face. And it's not that there's so much lying as they're perhaps expressing their ideals of who they would love to be, but haven't quite become yet. And it's not until you then hire them into the workplace to go, Oh, no, not another one. Like someone who's actually, you know, they've gamed the resume, they've gamed the interview process and they've got into the business and you're like, okay, now this is going to be a potential liability and now I have to exit them. Um, I don't like this really sound commercial. Sound really... <laughs> well, that, let's put it in the friends context, right? Yeah. When Joey puts on his resume that he can speak French and then he gets a job where he's play, he's got to speak French. This, this is like, this sounds very familiar. <laughs> So, you know, that that's the whole idea of a dating profile. Yeah. There is an element of... Bullshit? 
Well, I want to say like Mysterious? fluffing things up. Fluffing things up? Oh, you were You're on a porn set recently. So yeah, yeah okay. there are no fluffers in porn sets. There are no fluffers? No, that's a myth. Oh, wow. The economics no. is going bad. Well, exactly. It's another person you've got to pay. And <laughs> at the end of the day… Do it yourself, buddy. Well, at the end of the day, if you're a successful male porn star, you know how to get erect and you yeah. know how to ejaculate when you're told to. So yeah, right. Pop no on fluffers. Um, dating profiles. Uh I do feel like a lot of people will, you know, these days it's the editing of photos. So yeah. we talk more with photos than we do with words. Um, the problem is, is a lot of people have access to different angles and different lightings. and Filters. Yeah, I always think if you want to be able to show the real you, put a few different photos so people can see you, whether it's maybe in different contexts. If you're a woman, always put one that's maybe got more natural, not like heavy makeup so they can say, okay, you you kind of look like the same person here because people will know that there is this element of editing. So I think we're always going to wonder when we see photos, how much is that edited? Don't you know use photos that have those filters on it where you can really tell tale of it or it's a bit fluffy because we know that you're hiding something. That's where it's you've really got to be a little bit more like this is me and also paint photos, like paint stories with those pictures. Are you an outdoorsy person? Are you a showy person? You know, what kind of things are you interested in? Because we don't read profiles anymore. You know, we're still going to falsify our profiles, but we're not reading the words as much. We are looking at these photos and we're judging them very quickly to see if, are you the person that I'm going to go on a date with? Am I going to talk to you? So we need to be careful very purely based on the photos that we're using. Don't even worry about the words these days. It's the photos. I'm fucked. <laughs> I'm screwed. All right, I'll, I think I'm going to come along as your um, personal relationship advisor. I'll just go. choose your dates, set them up. There we go. And be like, you're going there. There's on a reality night. TV show right there. And don't worry about Married at First Sight. We'll call it Setting Kerwin up. Um, okay, cool. So, th- this has been a really interesting conversation. We've gone in a whole range of different areas. But if there was one piece of ultimate advice that you'd give someone, whether it be for dating or more importantly, maybe relationships, because I want to assume you've seen a lot of relationships. A lot of different types of relationships and a lot of different contexts. Um, you know, you've interviewed a lot of different people. What would you say are the three most important things that you would recommend when it comes to creating and maintaining a healthy relationship? I think the first one is working on you. It's the biggest thing that I see, especially in marriages and relationships, is when people give too much to someone else and they're not looking at their own happiness, things start to dwindle. And that's where you'll get a resentful woman, you'll get somebody that's, you know, a couple that they're angry at each other. The reason that they're angry at each other is they're also angry with themselves. You know, yes, it's good to be caring and considerate and compromising, but are you still happy? It's not fun to be in a relationship with somebody who doesn't love themselves and isn't happy with themselves. I think that's the most important one for relationships. I think second of all, stop caring about what other people think, whether that is parenting, relationships, your sex life, stop comparing yourself to everyone else. Because at the end of the day, there is never going to be another relationship that is like yours. There might be similarities and you can talk to your friends and your friends will go, oh, my partner does that. And you go, yeah, he drives me up the wall with that too. But at the end of the day, no one knows what goes on in your home. No one, go, no, go, no one knows what goes on in your bedroom. Should we be so worked up with things like, oh, I heard this statistic that the average Australian couple has sex 2.4 times a week. I have heard that one and I really question what the point for is, but no one will answer it for me. That's a rectal dysfunction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I premature like ejaculation. Yeah. One of those, yeah, a failed attempt. Yeah. So, you know, is that right for you or is it a matter of going, you know what, we're shift workers, we're never really seeing each other, we're just going to have sex on the weekends and have a really good time. So, you know, stop your expectations about, you know, what everybody else is doing in their own bedroom. The third one, what's going to be my take home? This is the one they'll remember. 
This is the boring one, but it's the really important one is it's communication. Mm, it's not boring. Communication never gets boring. Well, it's, for some people, they think that, that they look at me like I should be recommending like a pill or a potion or a lubricant or a sex toy. But again, that's a microwave mindset. And I think the hardest thing in any... The hardest things in life are often where the greatest rewards are. And I think for most people, the reason that they avoid communication is because it's difficult. People don't like to talk about the things that are hard. People don't like to talk about the things that are uncomfortable, but that's where the growth is. That's where... And that's why we're going to put a fourth one in here. Work through the hard times. I love that. So, you know, one of the frustrations I get with couples these days is that people have this pressure to be perfect and we can thank social media for that. You know, have a look at... And Hollywood. Hollywood. I mean, look at Jennifer Aniston and Justin. I can never say his last name. Just call him Justin. Justin. When you know... Close to him as I am. The Rue or Justin, your best mate, Justin. So, this is the thing that frustrates me. These Hollywood couples split and they released this lovey dovey statement. I think theirs was like, we lovingly and mutually made the decision to split. And, you know, it's all like it's. Sounds like it was written by a scorned woman. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But it's all this, you know, these lovely statements. And yet we all know that you're killing each other. And for the rest of the people, and you would know this as someone who's going through a separation, what, you look at Hollywood couples and you think, wow, we don't have our shit together like they do. You know, it makes people feel crap about themselves if they don't have this perfect perception of the way things are running in their life. So when it comes to a relationship in general, you know, don't worry about being perfect because those people that you think are in a perfect relationship are not. Those people that are posting on Instagram like, oh, hashtag my boy, he's amazing, he's perfect. He's probably off at the local brothel. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's never the way that it seems. So maybe we should stop putting this pressure on each other to yeah, be right. perfect and be real. And a real relationship means that, you know what, you're going to have times where it's hard. Doesn't mean that you just, you know, freak out because your relationship doesn't look like everyone else's on Instagram or do you actually try to communicate and work on it? Dr. Goldstein, Dr. Nikki Goldstein, thank you so much. I had a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. And I feel like this is not the last conversation Ooh. we're going to have because I'm going to find you a girl. Oh, damn. Okay, we have this on multiple cameras. Timmy is through the roof I'm right always, now. I'm always looking for good eligible men. I've got yeah, a lot right. of I wish women, you'd come but... in after I had a haircut because I look like a fucking woolly mammoth right now. I'm not oh, the best I like the I like the woolly mammoth thing. Like no, not the shade, the, the hair. That okay. was, honestly. The silver, silver fox. fox. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, take, we'll do a photo session. We'll take your profiles another oh, day. Yeah, I start, I'm going to need stylist. I'm going to need anti-aging. Oh, God. <laughs> Dr. Nikki Goldstein, you've been awesome. Thanks for coming. Thank you. (laughs) There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor, don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say. And your reviews make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com. And also check us out on social media, at Kerwin Ray.